Welcome to Acquisition Talk, a podcast on how the military decides what weapon systems it will field and the management tools for getting it done. I'm Eric Lofgren of George Mason University's Baroni Center for Government Contracting. If you enjoy this podcast, be sure to share it with your colleagues and get more content by subscribing to my blog at acquisitiontalk.com. Thanks for listening. In this episode of Acquisition Talk, we listen in on a crossover discussion on China's surveillance balloon hosted by Jordan Schneider of China Talk. Since this episode aired, the United States decided to take down the balloon. As our friend Mike Benitez at the Merge reports, an F-22 lit its burners, climbed above 50,000 feet, and used an AM-9X Sidewinder missile to shoot down the balloon, which was floating somewhere above 60,000 feet. Sidewinders use sensitive thermal cameras to target the balloon. This may have been the highest altitude air-to-air kill on record. Please enjoy this episode. China Talk, Emergency War Balloon Edition here on Friday, February 3rd, 2023. To discuss, we have William Balloon Guy Kim of the Marathon Initiative, Eric Lokrum Acquisition Talk, and Gerard DePippo of CSIS, formerly with the Intel community. Welcome to perhaps the most important China Talk show of the six years I've been doing this. Everyone, great to have you all. What the hell just happened? Well, what happened was, I guess it was yesterday that the Pentagon and NORAD announced that there was a balloon that they were tracking from China that was, I think at the time over Wyoming or Montana, the bottom line was it was, it caused a diplomatic, um, you know, minor crisis where, uh, the U S uh, well, first of all, the the Chinese government was sort of, um, vague and, and kind of denying at first, eventually the MSA released a statement where they, uh, they said the, the airship, which what they call the balloon is in fact, Chinese. They claim it's for meteorological purposes, so a weather balloon. They say that it was drifting because of just westerly winds uh, and that they regret the unintended entry of the airship into U.S. airspace due to force majeure. Force majeure is like a legal concept that it's like an act of God. It's not, it's out of their control and that they are communicating with the U.S. side uh, to, to address the issue. Uh, but then, I don't know, less than a few hours later, um, it, the, the U S government announced that, that secretary Blinken would not be flying to Beijing as planned. He was supposed to be wheels up the site uh, tonight, I believe. So now the trip is postponed indefinitely. The state department has not said, uh, when or under what conditions they will resume the trip, but they've said that, that basically the issue is that while, you know, they recognize, um, that the Chinese side has said regretted it, which is a meaningful statement for coming from them. Uh, that it was still a violation of U.S. sovereignty, and they found it unacceptable and inappropriate for them to go at this time. I don't even know where to start. Will, why would a Chinese balloon be over Wyoming? Well, I mean, it is possible that they're telling the truth, and it did it did just malfunction and kind of drift away. But you know, balloons do offer advantages in terms of things like intelligence collection uh, compared to satellites. Satellites are are very difficult to conceal, and uh, they fly predictable orbits. Uh, spy satellites tend to be quite large. And uh, so you, you know when they're there. Um, now, this balloon doesn't seem to to be something that would be easy to hide. I mean, we've been tracking it so far. But um, you could offer much more persistence in terms of getting that kind of 24-7 
uh, you have a, if you have a balloon that's there all the time versus a satellite that you know maybe is over there you know several times a day, um, and the U.S. can know, hey, we're not going to take out take out do anything too secretive while while satellite is overhead. So there's there's definitely reasons why they might want want to use this for intelligence collection. Do we know has the Pentagon or anyone confirmed that it is, or at least the view is that it is a spy balloon and not a weather balloon? Like how confident are we of that? Yeah, all, all the statements I've seen have said you know, surveillance balloon. Um, I have not seen anything, at, at least officially, indicating that, that there's ambiguity or that it may be a weather balloon. Um, yeah. In the Chinese statement, it said like, it said like, uh, uh, it's like, it's like, it's like for scientific as well as other purposes. Um, it, it also <laughs> looks rather large for for compared to weather balloons that I've seen. So that's that's the one thing that that makes me a little suspicious of that cover story. So, well, why is it so hard to take one of these things down? I, like, is there a cost effective way of just like bring it down or why are they leaving it up there? Um, I, I, as of now, I don't think there is. I mean, you know, you can. Uh, for for one thing, these balloons are are rather cheap. I could you know you can make one. It depends on the payload, but you can make it under a million dollars or even under a hundred thousand dollars. And uh, if you're going to shoot a uh, four point five million dollar you know surface to air missile at it, obviously that's not a bit. You're not going to have surface to air missiles for very long. Um, but in terms of even uh, you know hitting them, I mean. These are not these are not balloons you have at a birthday party or you just poke a hole in it and then it pops. I, there's a, a another instance in um, where a Canadian weather balloon went rogue and they had fighter jets shooting at it with 20, 20 millimeter cannons and it still took six days before it finally came down. <laughs> um, could you like grab it? Like how high are they? Um, this one doesn't appear to be very high, but I mean they're. There are some of these can go up to past well past a hundred thousand feet, which is you know beyond uh, the flight the ceiling of any aircraft really. Even if you wanted to shoot a missile at it, like could you tar could they target it? How would you target a balloon? I mean, it's not reflecting radar, right? Right. So the, that's that's the thing that the, uh, the balloons um, themselves do not actually reflect radar. The the payload will. But the problem is the payload is, is very slow, and these missile guidance systems are designed to hit fast-moving targets. They're designed to shoot down missiles or, or aircraft, and they're actually designed to ignore uh, kind of chaff, which is what these uh, balloon payloads very, very well may look like. So I think it's an open question whether or not you, you know, whether how well these uh, surface-to-air missiles would even work if you shot it. Though, as I should clarify, as far as I know, it's never been tried before. Well... Tell it to me straight. Is there a balloon gap and can I sleep at night until it's closed? Um, you know, short answer is uh, I don't know. And uh, long answer is the people who do know probably, probably are going to say. But I do think there there is reason to be concerned that the Chinese uh, clearly have interest in this technology and uh, are developing this technology. And I think we need we need to be doing more on our end, both to develop counters to us. So again, more cost-effective ways, things like energy weapons that could be used against us, um, as well as our, our own uh, capabilities when it comes to uh, high altitude balloons. And I'm, I'm very concerned that the Chinese could potentially use these not just for um, surveillance, but even potentially uh, strikes in the future. You know, the Japanese used to send balloons during World War II at the United States. Now they only killed six people because they were very inaccurate, but 
you know, high altitude balloons can definitely carry payloads large enough to put uh, bombs or, or missiles or something like that. The U.S. Army has a concept for suicide drones launched from a balloon. All right, let's let's um. Uh, this is a good little transition, Eric. Um, apparently, you have you have uh, balloons in your genes. Um, uh, give us give us a little history of of America and um, uh, its interactions with balloon warfare. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, it turns out my my grandfather worked at um, Goodyear for as a mili- military contractor doing this stuff for the Navy uh, back in the day. So I hit up. You know, George, you called just like two hours before this, like, hey, we should do a balloon thing. I was like, I called my dad. I was like, give me the lowdown on balloons. And he, of course, he knows everything about military history of balloons. So most of, of course, they start, they're mostly for recon, recon stuff, right? Mainly tethered. They actually started during the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, but yeah. the big first big time they were used was in the Civil War for like artillery targeting. Um, they were kind of like inflated using coal it was the first time that they actually put a person on board one of these airships um in world war one they started actually meeting opposition for the first time from powered flight but these things were actually using hydrogen at that time so it was super dangerous uh for you know a pilot to go get in close shoot the hydrogen uh package and then it would actually like burst and there'd be a big fire and so it was pretty dangerous for them. Oh, my God. Of course, now what Will was talking about, those are kind of inert. They're using, like, helium for these. So the inert gas, it won't ignite. So when, as he was saying, when you shoot them down, um, nothing's going to explode. It, it'll just kind of, like, drift down over a long time. But for the most part, they were used, like, in World War II as kind of, like, barrage balloons where you'd, like, cable them to the ground and they would prevent bombers from coming over. So the Brits had these over for the Battle of Britain for a long time to kind of foil the Luftwaffe. And when you look at like pictures of D-Day, you'll see like all the supply ships out there uh, with a bunch of these barrage balloons. Now they didn't really do much because basically the, the allies killed most of the Luftwaffe fighters and bombers at that time. So they weren't really attacking the D-Day uh, fleet, but that's what they're used for. And then of course- right, they were sorry, used... sorry, Eric, Eric, explain the barrage balloon concept. So the barrage balloon, so you basically have these balloons go up really high and you would like have tethers to them and other types of, of chaff and uh, and cables. And so like when bombers tried to come through, they would basically be hit with these nets and, and these cables and it would it would prevent them from kind of getting to their path and, and like hitting ships or hitting London uh, wherever you'd have them. So that's, that's so it's what like, it's like a, it's like a, like a, like you're catching fish in a net in the sky with balloons. Ba- pretty much. <laughs> I mean, people were innovative back then, right? It's like, let's just, <laughs> let's just try things out and do them. Right. Um, they were, they were actually used for, for U-boats too. They protected convoys. So like before nuclear submarines, you would keep a balloon up there. You could have a pretty big payload and have a big radar on there. And it would force the U-boats to stay submerged because uh, otherwise, like even having a periscope up, you'd be able to catch them with these balloons and they had long loiter times. And so they used these uh, to basically degrade the capabilities of of Nazi U-boats. And they used them up until like 1962, essentially, when the Soviets started to um, get introduced with with nuclear submarines. And so that's kind of like, the downfall of the the age of the of you know like the airship balloons but they were used uh to do like weird things um including uh they would drop propaganda and like in world war ii yeah. 
you know, and stuff like that. It wasn't really effective, but you know, that's what they did. And uh, there's, there's a little background on the balloons. Um, let's, I do want to stay on the sort of Japan bombing America with balloons story. Uh, I don't know, Will or Eric, either of you guys want to sort of tell that in a little more detail. Well, it was kind of similar to what they had here, right? It's you would put incendiaries on, on these balloons and you let the weather, like the jet streams take them over. Um, and they would basically target the Pacific Northwest and they were hoping to create forest fires. Now, to my knowledge, I don't really know much about it. Will might know a lot more than me, but it wasn't too effective. Yeah, I mean, I think no, this, uh, it happened like after the U.S. started bombing the, the Japanese homeland, right? And this was like, the, I, the, the context I remember it in is like, they're trying to like have some sort of propaganda win. And the, the other interesting wrinkle with this is that um, America, like there was a big media blackout um, uh, in the U S because they didn't want the story to get out. So I think it was like, it was like highly classified for, for like decades or something that, uh, the Japanese balloons actually ended up being able to hit, um, uh, us targets. Yeah. Um, so, so six people were killed in, uh, by one, by one of those balloons that just kind of like happened to land, like while they're out at a picnic or something. And, uh, they, they are the only Americans who were killed on continental U S soil in the entire war. One of my questions is more, was jump, jump to the present, uh, you know, even just for this particular Chinese spy balloon, I don't, I don't understand all the technical. So we'll, you know, I'll just accept that there's some, some collection abilities that having a balloon is, is better for than, than say a satellite. Uh, but how, how do, or would the Chinese communicate with the balloon? How do they collect the data that it's collecting? Like, do they have to physically retrieve it? Is there some satellite uplink? Do you know how that works? Yeah, I mean, I assume like a like a satellite, you can just, you know, use radio communication. Um, there's actually for uh, Google for Project Loon tested out uh, using laser uh, communication between uh, different balloons, which uh, was a big challenge, but they managed managed to do it. Wasn't there like going to be balloon Internet at one point? Yeah, so that's what Google was doing with um, Project Loon, where they were going to just kind of float these balloons up and, and they'd almost be, yeah, they would be able to provide internet. But the idea is they would provide um, internet to kind of areas that didn't have cell phone towers already. So, like, yeah. so areas that are particularly poor or like rural or something like that. Um, that that uh, program has been shut down. Um, but my understanding is that the technology didn't so much fail. In fact, the technology, you know, is, is pretty incredible when you learn, like, what these AI algorithms were able to do and, and kind of, like, catching the wind and how they managed to figure out, like, like this thing that sailors have been doing for thousands of years. It, the algorithm figured it out on its own. Um, but the thing is, in order for something like that to work, you have to be really, really cheap. If, you're, if your whole business model is, you know, we're going to provide to areas that don't have their, already have their own cell phone tower infrastructure, you know, so if it's like rural Kenya, then, then and my understanding is they just couldn't get the price uh, low enough for it to be viable. Sounds like well, a poor man's Starlink to a degree. Like, you know, it's, it seems to be working for Ukraine, but maybe they could use this in, in other denied environments. Yeah, potentially. Um, I mean, I think I think communications is a very, you know, at least in the military realm where, again, you don't you don't need the price to be quite as low uh, for, for, you know, DOD or something. I think it definitely has a lot of potential. Well, can you talk a little bit more about like the algorithms? Like, do, are, is there propulsion on the balloons and like how does machine learning, you know, help with that? 
Yeah, so I, this is why you don't see this stuff being used all the time because, you know, you send it up and unless it has some sort of propulsion and there's challenges with doing propulsion and like, you know, like using engines at uh, that high of an altitude as well. Um, but yeah, you know, you send it up, it just kind of goes wherever the wind takes it. Um, but what's what's happened recently with AI is that these algorithms can kind of figure out how to adjust the altitude of the balloon to catch the right wind because there will be these winds going in different directions and you can use that uh, to kind of go or even or even kind of orbit around one spot for an extended period of time and and you know I, do, I know that in some cases these balloons have been able to stay up there for like 300 days and they can do that without propulsion without any yes yeah it's it's just it's again wow. it's just a matter of going up and down you don't you don't need propellers or anything like that yeah I mean, that's crazy to, you like there still need but there aren't like weather power, reports yeah. for like 50,000 feet versus 60,000 feet or are are there like what well, are your what's your data that was one of one of the challenges with with doing it getting the data i know um darpa had a had a project called alta which was using uh, laser sensors to kind of collect data and kind of collect information yeah about wind patterns can you talk a little bit about how like how much research have you done in this and <laughs> <laughs> like you know one thing i've always experienced kind of in dc realm is like I, I do a little bit of work and then someone comes to me and like treats me like an expert on something, but I'm like, I'm not an expert on this. I just happen to write one thing, <laughs> you know, like what was your experience with that? Yeah, I, I definitely feel, feel that same way where, uh, I mean, a lot of my knowledge is basically coming from these two papers that I had in my uh, original uh, thread, which were written by air force uh, officers back in like the two thousands uh, talking about this. And, um, and then uh, the rest is just kind of media reporting, you know, after reading those, I got into the media reporting about Project Loon and a lot of the other things that were going on in the commercial sector. Um, but yeah, I feel like, you know, I used to just kind of read, uh, you know, just go on the internet and, and Google this stuff for a while. And I guess as the only person in the national security space doing this, because, you know, I always felt like this is something that was a bigger deal than people were talking about. Everyone wanted to talk about hypersonics or, you know, autonomous drones or anything. And I'm like, hey, balloons are, are important. And, and I, I think up until now, I, I get kind of these very blank stares um, for people. But yeah, full disclosure, I mean, I'm not a not an aerospace engineer or anything. I've never professionally worked on, on any of these projects. So, so you know, do, do uh, keep that in mind. Well, I'm looking forward to the day when uh, you're managing a $5 million balloon budget. Well, um, the uh, another thing I wanted to ask was I want to come back to this like balloon versus satellite capability question, um, because it seems like balloons have a lot going for them. Um, did are, are people biased because like they've seen up and they think it's silly versus like you know, satellites just seem cooler. Like, what? Why? What, do you have a theory of why balloons don't get more love? I mean, I think I think part of it might just be like, okay, if your like whole job revolves around satellites, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't necessarily be too big on this kind of thing coming around. And you know, there's a much more entrenched uh, interest in you know in satellites, especially now that we have this. I mean, the space force's reason for existence is uh, satellites, and. and one interesting thing I've noted is actually the service, in my view, that's been doing the most work on this is is the Army, actually, not the Air Force. And I think that might be due to, you know, they don't have necessarily had the same uh, 
institutional bias towards um, towards satellites. But I'd also point out that, again, this is a very, very new thing. And so far, a lot of the people kind of working on this have been thinking of it, you know, for commercial uh, purposes, like, again, like, uh, like providing internet. And I think I might just be kind of weird looking at this and being like, hey, this could this could allow us to kill people more effectively. <laughs> so um, uh, I might just uh, just might be the re- it's, it's a very recent technology. Well, the, the army's been, I mean, they, they had the J, I remember I did a cost estimate on the J lens program, which was just like an aerostat. It was just like a balloon that sits above a base to do cruise missile defense. And then one day got loose from Aberdeen and wreaked havoc into like, into Pennsylvania because it's tethered, right? And so the tether just kept being dragged along. And you see these pictures of like, it's just like taking out poles and all this stuff. And like all these people <laughs> lost power. And then they were just like, we're going to shut down the, the project. And I think that was like the end of balloons. I, I, you know, like, but the army was kind of looking at it from a different perspective. I, that's why I like kind of having multiple services. But maybe are, are you going to be advocating, you know, maybe we need some balloon programs going on? What other types of things is the military doing? Yeah, so um, I believe the fiscal year uh, 23 budget had about $27 million, which is, you know, kind of chunk change for the Pentagon, but still much larger than it was before. I know it was in like the single digit million. So, I mean, there is there is uh, work uh, being done on this. I think Jalen's was definitely a big uh, thing because anytime I bring this up to people who are kind of in the know, they're like, oh, but Jalen's. I'm like, yeah, but this isn't tethered. So, like, it's different. Um and, and the other thing too to, to also keep in mind is that you know balloons are not completely replacing satellites uh, anytime soon. I don't I don't believe they can fully um, rep- you know get like that. We can just kind of get rid of the space force or get rid of uh, the NRO. I mean, for one thing, as we've seen with the political response here, there's just a political difference in how people politically react uh, when there's a balloon in their airspace versus you know spy satellites going overhead every day. If you'd be interested in supporting the show and also are sick of hearing me interrupt your show to ask to support the show, please consider supporting China Talk via Substack or Patreon, patreon.com slash Chinatalk or chinatalk.substack.com. Would very much appreciate your support. Thank you so much. Now back to the show. Um, yeah, yeah, let's come back to that. Airspace. Oh. Yeah, so I was going to ask, like, does the U.S.? use similar balloons against china and does china do this frequently or is just a, a rare occurrence do we know um from what i've seen uh i've seen reporting that says that yes this is perhaps a pretty frequent occurrence from china this is kind of the first that got into the news and in fact a lot of people have argued that a lot of like the ufo military sightings were actually most likely uh chinese uh balloons so i don't i don't think this is you know that that new it's just this was like a lot more noticeable and that like people could like look up and take pictures of it this time um as, as in terms of what the u.s does i mean again i know there's there's experiments being done that's you know kind of what my original uh, twitter thread that i made was was talking about there's conceptual work but in in terms of anything like actually any fielded capability i am not aware of anything that uh, that that u.s military fields well i I, I can't believe, you know, like the Tic Tac, I, I doubt that aviators are, are, you know, thinking that the Tic Tac and, and a balloon are, are, they're just like messing that up, right? So like, what, which, which uh, UAPs, you know, un, 
unidentified aerial phenomena are you talking about you think that might be balloons just like people on the ground thinking it or actual military I mean, yeah people? even even some of the some of the i mean uh i try to remember this there's this was an article in in the war zone about it and they're talking about how like some of these report uh some of the images might actually you know so the infrared images might actually be balloons and some of the reports of like, oh, it's like flying like supersonic without making a sonic boom. That that could potentially be like electronic warfare uh, packages on, on them. So it's like it's it's like your sensors aren't aren't actually like working properly. Um, oh, but wow. I, I was not one who That's made this argument. But, but it is, yeah. Given that that I guess the use of balloons, or by the Chinese at least, and maybe by the U.S., is not all that that uh, abnormal. Is the U.S. overreacting now today by by postponing Blinken's trip because of a balloon? And why? Do, I mean, this is probably just purely speculation. But if if this has happened before, why is this one getting all this press? Like, is it, did it get too low or something? Like, why why now? Um, yeah, I mean, it's very big for one thing. That's kind of what surprised me when I saw photos. Is like you can make these packages much smaller and I'm not sure why they didn't. If you compare it to like, you know, Worldview Stratolite or something, this seems like a rather large payload and it does seem to be flying um, rather low. In terms of, you know, was it the right call for Blinken to, you know, postpone his trip? I mean, I think I think that's a bit above my pay grade, but I wouldn't say it's an overreaction in the sense that this this kind of capability like the demonstration of this capability is is absolutely something uh to worry about and i think you know again you know we have to think about a against about operating under much more persistent pla uh isr than than perhaps we're used to and you know isr capabilities again we don't have a very in my view do not have a very good cost effective counter to yet and we also have to, again, consider, can they do strikes well beyond at ranges that would have previously been unthinkable? And perhaps the idea of just saying, oh, you know, these are the red rings of death. And, you know, as a DF-26 can fly this far, and then anything beyond that, you know, we'll just keep, you know, bombers and fly them out of uh, Hawaii or something, and they'll be, they'll be safe. I mean, I think we need to re really do need to rethink those assumptions. But, but this balloon, the one today, is probably not an, an armed balloon, right? It's just a surveillance balloon. Probably not. But again, you can you can uh, definitely uh, arm. I mean, again, we were talking about the Japanese. Um, NASA had a balloon that could carry up to 8,000 uh, pounds to an altitude above 100,000 feet. Yeah, you could definitely. One of the articles that actually got me into this wasn't even talking about them for surveillance. It was suggesting using them as close air support uh, platforms and just like sticking a bunch over like Iraq and Afghanistan and, and soldiers could just kind of call in bombs whenever they need it. And unlike, you know, a plane, it never had, it, it, you know, it can stay up there much longer. So yeah, I think, I think kinetic uses is definitely something that uh, we should be thinking about. But evidently they're hard to shoot down, right? <laughs> what so are, far, uh, yes, I think, I think, again, I think energy weapons should probably, uh, provide a solution there but uh, we, we might have some work cut out for us so, so for the for the uninitiated will what is an energy weapon um so really i mean you know the sci-fi lasers uh microwaves uh, microwaves could at least give would fry the electronics um and then lasers you know you could actually use it to kind of heat up and, and destroy the balloon itself so far they've been kind of relatively short range used for things like uh, defense against small drones um so i do think you know considering 
la uh, laser or microwave weapons, um, if, if not specifically designed to destroy these high-altitude balloons, at least capable of doing so, I, I think is something that uh, that probably deserves more attention. So, yeah, Epirus has a microwave uh, thing that they just got a $64 million contract from the Army. They They can apparently knock out hundreds of small UASs with that thing. But then the directed energy one is funny. A few years ago, they, they put a, a laser on a C-130 and they popped a balloon from like from altitude. And it was just like, well, maybe that's more relevant. <laughs> like people were joking at it. It's like, oh, you popped a balloon. Who cares? It's like, well, maybe maybe there's some utility to that. <laughs> I want to throw the policy question back at you, Gerard. Um, you know, this I don't think this is the same as putting nukes on Cuba. Um what what do you think what what do you think just happened my gut is that uh something happened that was um too politically sensitive even for domestic reasons for the white house to tolerate appeasing on such a short time frame so if this had happened say 72 hours ago it's plausible to me that blinken would still be going but because it happened uh just you know the day before he was supposed to leave there was probably emergency sessions at the nsc to figure out what to do about this I, my personal view is that, um, at least from a bilateral perspective, it, it was not, it was not justified to cancel the trip. I don't think this changes anything about any negotiations. I think that the internal debate was, I know this is purely speculation, but my, my gut is there were probably some political arguments about, you know, Biden looking weak or whatever. If, if we went in face of this, uh, balloon that was getting so much attention overnight. Um, but, but to me, it, it seems like an overreaction. And Gerard, can we talk, can we talk through a little bit of your balloon bloodlust? Why did you want to blow this thing up so badly? <laughs> well, look, look, I believe you could believe two things at once, right? One is that, that Blinken should have gone anyway, regardless of the balloon, but even with the balloon, but two, that we should also blow up the balloon because if once, once NORAD announced that he was tracking it and saying, oh, it's also a Chinese balloon, it would at least be comfort comforting for me to know that we could shoot it down. Evidently it's not clear whether we can do so or at least so in, in a sort of um, economical way. Uh, but but it does strike me as a bit troubling that, you know, Will is saying it, may, it took the Canadians like six days to down a balloon. I would think we would have the ability to do that, particularly if if if, you know, these things actually can be armed. It just it's just pretty embarrassing. And so, I mean, I was tweeting about this half joking, but I do kind of want to shoot it down and see what happens. I did. I did quite like the idea of Blinken going and just like presenting like a cloth of balloon to his interlocutor being like, yes, th th thank you. Just for wanted the gift. to return like this to for you. This? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, Amazon prime, you got 30 days, uh, three days free shipping. I know, I know it went off track. So like, we'll just, just help, help you out here. It, I mean, to be clear, like if, if the Chinese government had denied it was theirs or had not, you know, quote, issued a regret statement, um, I would have been more inclined to say that, you know, this, this was out of line, but, because they they did and also you know the state department said today that this is this um like they acknowledge the regret thing and if and if what will is saying is true that this happens before then th that itself can't be the issue the issue is that it was detected and it became public that's the real issue yeah will eric anything on this come on will you're the balloon guy you got <laughs> i think i'm good um um, yeah, I mean, okay. I guess I'd, I'd just say I, I hope I hope that this um, starts. I mean, is is 
it's weird being like the balloon guy because like i said i don't really think i i like a subject matter expert but it's just like i realized oh my god like almost nobody else in the national security space has even like thought about this really uh, so i think i think that i hope that the that the attention um both helps us uh develop these capabilities you know kind of beyond like jaylen's and and tethered things and actually looking at kind of more advanced free-floating uh designs using um ai and and I hope we also, you know, do start, to, you know, whether that's the laser on the C-130. I mean, I, I was, you know, kind of tweeted, yeah, yeah, maybe something, some sort of airborne laser might be the solution. But, you know, whatever it is, we got to counter it and we gotta, we got, we've got to have this capability ourselves. So I hope that this that this starts a conversation and that people smarter and more powerful than me uh, take, do more on this. Well, well, this may or may not uh, sort of increase the salience of uh, balloons in the national security conversation. But one thing it certainly already has done is um, improve your dating prospects. Uh, you recently tweeted out a hinge uh, response from a long dead match who said, sorry, random late reply. Are you balloon guy on Twitter? I apologize. This is the most DC way to message someone on hinge. I am sure. I, I don't know how this gets any better for you, Will. Exactly. People say uh, dating in DC sucks, but I think I think this is a good counter argument to that. <laughs> um, what what are we left with here after the Balloon Gate saga closes? Well, we're we're left with a lot of questions. So one is uh, when or if uh, Secretary Blinken will be going to China. I assume he will and hope he will. But with the Balloon Gate itself, you know, where did it come from? Was it PLA? Why now? If this wasn't a routine thing. Was it just not coordinated with with Beijing, or is it just someone you know acting unilaterally? What's the background here, and you know, would, would, what is the U.S. assessment? Are they overreacting, etc.? So I, there's a lot of stuff we don't know here. And again, I think that the fact this happened so quickly ahead of the the planned departure explains the U.S. reaction. But to me, honestly, I don't think of this as being that big of a deal. Um, Eric, I was curious, like. Once China tested the hypersonics, like what what that did for the DC conversation around hypersonics and what might this balloon saga do for Will's dreams of a massive, um, you know, balloon investment plus up? Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, policy people and defense people, we are envious, right? Like if they have a shiny new toy, we want it too. Um, but, you know, it, it really did get me thinking. It's like, man, is this thing really that survivable? Because like, you look at certain missions like air target moving indicator where we will like have a sortie of six or more F-35s and you need a tanker on station just to keep two like forward deployed so you can see whether there's some J-20s or whatever coming forward, right? And to see what, what's in the air. I mean, that's a lot of money to keep multiple F-35s up there just moving around at like $40,000 an hour just to be sensing up forward. If you could just put balloons up there, right? Very low cost, very survivable, same, you know, EW and sensing packages on them and relay it back. Like, why not? Like, does that make sense? Right? Like, how many more missions can this thing actually take forward um, that we're just like burning, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars every hour? Um, just to do something with like high-end equipment where we don't need to burn out engines and airframes of F-35s to go do it. So I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like it's worth worth a, worth a some analysis. 
Um, what's our what's our balloon song outro? The uh, yeah. thing from Up, I think, right? It's gotta All be right. gotta have something from. It's up. not. It's not war. It's not like a warlike balloon song, though. Oh yeah. my god! It's okay. Yeah, balloons are well, lighthearted. The, I mean, when are you gonna have a warlike balloon song? Well, but this is the problem. Like, that's more you're gonna get. Yeah. <laughs> this is the problem. If we if we had Dolly, we could ask it for a warlike balloon song, and it would give it to us. Um, oh, there you go. But we don't have that. Those models aren't public yet, sadly. All right, I'm gonna call it. Uh, <laughs> Thanks so much for being a part of the inaugural edition of Balloon Talk, ladies and gentlemen. It's a pleasure. Good to be with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This concludes another episode of Acquisition Talk. Please subscribe, share, and rate this podcast so others can find it too. You can reach out to me at acquisitiontalk.com. Thanks again, and until next time.